Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Let's just entertain the presence of the Lord that we feel right now. Just for another moment, would you do that? Would you just lift your voice? Would you thank Him for His presence? Lord, we thank You for the opportunity, God, that You've given us. We praise Your holy and wonderful name, God. We thank You for Your mercy and Your grace. In Jesus' name, we thank everyone for being in the house of the Lord today. And I don't know about you, but the song says there's no place I would rather be. And so that's how I feel today. Do you feel that way that there's no place on this earth at this very moment that I would rather be? I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Now, I believe that we could start at chapter 1. We could read into the end and just read the book and leave here better. I absolutely believe that. So I'm not trying to scare you. We are not going to read the entire book. But we are going to visit several chapters, several verses today. I believe that we need it. Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, the Bible says, Now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come. Let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. They thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them saying, I am doing a great work. If I could say it like this, I am doing an important work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times after this sort, and I answered them after the same manner. And so this morning I just want to talk to you from a simple subject. I, I wrestled back and forth with a title. The title is quite lengthy, but the other title that I came up with probably wouldn't make any sense until the end. So I thought about Don't Go to Ono. We don't understand that right now, but we will later. So for the sake of a title, let's just talk about this. The work is too important to quit. Let's lift our hands right now. Let's ask the Lord to speak. Jesus, we need you. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for this very moment. I'm asking you to anoint us, God, together. 
to hear it and receive it. Anoint me to speak it, God. We need you right now in this hour, in this very moment, that your word speak to us, God. Let us hear. Let us apply it. We give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. The book of Nehemiah counts the record of the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah, having obtained permission from the king, he returns to Jerusalem to oversee the rebuilding and the restoration of the wall of that Jewish holy city. This time a remnant of Jews have returned and they've rebuilt the temple. However, they lacked something very important, and that was protection. So Nehemiah, he's grieved in his heart for the people. He assumes the burden of providing that much-needed protection. The book of Nehemiah is, is more than just a written history of events. It's the book of, in and of itself and its characters. They serve us today as examples. They serve us even in our modern era as examples millennia after they've already been written. You see, its themes, they encompass pure depictions of repentance. They, they, they encompass what it is to mourn. And they encompass praise. Nehemiah himself being the chief example of what a Christian life really should be and that it's built on principles of absolute integrity and built on a foundation of prayer. See, Nehemiah exemplifies Christian character. He exemplifies right attitudes towards not only people, but toward the need. The need that has been presented, the task, and also the opposition. You see, in chapter 1, we're introduced to the need. And we're introduced in witness to his burden. In chapter 2, we're given insight into his initiative having obtained the permission of the king and returning to the city. We behold his attention to detail. Chapter 3, we see his dedication in prayer and in preparation and carrying out the task of repairing the walls. But then in chapter 4, 5, and 6, we see that there will be subsequent and inevitable opposition. Yet Nehemiah combats this with sheer determination and absolute trust in the Lord. See, Nehemiah understands the importance of building those protections. He understands the importance and determines to build it using every resource that is available to him. I believe that that is important then. I believe that it was important then. And I believe that it is ever more important to us today. I believe that it is more than time, more than important, that we must build spiritual protection in our lives. If we are going to make it in this day and age, we're going to have to have spiritual protection. We're going to have to set a course, and we're going to have to build the wall. You see, in a world that's done away with every sort of protection and every sort of safeguard, it's time for apostolic people, an apostolic generation, to stand on two flat feet unapologetically and keep building the wall. 
Now it's not my intention, nor should it be anyone else's intention, to build walls to keep anyone out or to exclude anyone from coming in. You see, Jesus said, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. So we're not building walls to keep anyone excluded. That's not what I'm referring to. But what I am talking about today is building some safeguards to preserve some things. I'm talking about building walls to keep not things out, or not to keep people in or out, or but it's to keep the enemy out. You see, there must be safeguards built to to preserve apostolic doctrine. Can I get a witness? We must preserve apostolic doctrine. We must preserve to keep apostolic integrity and apostolic distinctions. And we must maintain, hear me, above anything else, we must maintain apostolic identity. It must be done. It is time for the people of God to rise up and to understand and to take a burden upon themselves to know and realize that we have an important work to do. See, if you've repented of your sins, if you've been baptized in that precious name, Jesus, and if you have been filled with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost, you have been called to work. There is no if, ands, or buts about it. You have been called to do a work. You see, many have thought that being saved and sitting down is sufficient. But unfortunately, those have been deceived. Some have been sold a bill of goods and made to think that simply making a good showing, just clapping our hands and going through the motions, those proverbial motions would just suffice. But I'm telling you here today that that will not help anyone. It does not help you, and it will not help anyone beside you. In fact, all that it does is it hinders the work of God that is already being tried to be carried out. It only hinders the workers that are attempting to fulfill that mandate that is upon them and that God has put upon them. It only holds back the ones who are striving to answer that call and attend to the burden that God has placed upon their heart. You see, the fact of the matter is this. Whether you want to believe it or not, everyone in this building has a high and holy calling. Everyone under the sound of my voice has been called to a high and holy place. All of us are responsible. Every single one of us are responsible and mandated to build, to maintain, and to fulfill the purpose of God in the church, in our families, in the world, and in our individual lives. We must, we must take responsibility at being the church. We must take responsibility and pull it into ourselves of carrying out the commission that has been given. This is not just for a select few that God has called apart. No, he's poured out his spirit upon all of us, and we're all called to give everything we have. You see, that's what Nehemiah did. He recognized a need. He saw that there was a need, and he accepted the burden himself. It weighed heavy upon him, and he 
took that where it needed to go. He took that to the Lord in prayer. Nehemiah 1 and 4 says, And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. You see, he had asked, What of the walls? And men had told him they're in ruin. The city is, is, is unprotected. And the people are unprotected. And so Nehemiah had a burden upon his heart. It literally consumed him. It overtook him. But he did not just let it lay right there. He did not just feel the burden and feel the weight and then step away from it and step out underneath it to say, okay, I think somebody else would be better suited for that. I'm going to leave that alone for right now. No, he didn't do that. He didn't leave it there. He was not simply stirred just to be stirred, but he was stirred into action. You see, Nehemiah took initiative. He saw a need, and then he did something about it. We here today must do the same thing. We must recognize that there are needs all around us. There are ministries all around us that should not suffer because we don't want to step in under that burden. Because maybe we're afraid. Maybe we're afraid of what it may feel like. Or maybe we're afraid of maybe what it will take us away from. But I'm telling you today that there is nothing else on earth that matters except the work of God. Period. But there's something that we need to understand. And this is where I'm going for just a few moments. Anytime you step out, anytime that you put yourself in that position, the fact of the matter is this. There's going to be opposition. This wasn't meant to be easy. The work of God was not meant to be for lack of a better term, a powder cake. No, this was meant to be tough. If it were not, it would not be called work. Work is hard. And so you don't have to read very far into the story before you realize that Nehemiah himself faced strong opposition. The enemy began to plot and invent stories against him. They began to use tactics that are all too common. Nehemiah had enemies all around him. Some of them, hear this, both without and within. Nehemiah had strong opposition both within and without. Nehemiah 4 and 7 through 9 talks about the Ashdodites who lived west of Jerusalem, along with Samaritans in the north. There were Ammonites in the east and Arabs in the west. This completed a circle of enemies that surrounded the efforts but this is what I love about Nehemiah. He was not naive to that. He was not, he was not going into this naive and, and, and wondering anything. Nehemiah possessed a discernment in his spirit that we all must possess in this time. Nehemiah possessed something that we all must grab a hold of, and that is a spirit of discernment. See, Nehemiah was well aware of the threats. He was well aware of the enemy's capability, yet he responds first by trusting God and then taking precaution by having the people work within the walls with a weapon in hand and a, and a working tool in the other. You see, we too here today, even now, are compassed all about with enemies and with opposition, both within 
and without. In a broad scale, the church is facing opposition on all fronts. We're facing compromise. We're facing the enemy's threats to come and take everything we know away from us. But even on a smaller scale as individuals, we, we face opposition in the world. We, we face the opposition of trying to fit in or stand out. What shall we do? And, and then we face the opposition of something that's on the inside of us, our own mind, our own flesh that wars against us on a daily basis. You see, we're in a constant battle, not only with the world, but with ourselves. We're in a constant battle with our minds that are that's trying to shape and mold us into something that God does not want us to be. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but we were not made to fit in. We were not made to be to be some pig that would fit into a hole somewhere and disappear off the face of the earth. No, the church was not made to fit in. The church was meant to stand out. The church was meant to be in direct opposition to the world and to its philosophy. So we war against our own flesh. We're in constant opposition from the enemy of our soul, and that is our main antagonist. We must come to a realization that we have a real enemy. Brother Everett talked a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was last Sunday, about the enemy that faces us today and how some people want to paint him as some cartoon character with horns and a pitchfork. and It makes it so unassuming and, and so comical, in fact, that some people don't even believe that there's a real devil. But there he is. And he wants every single one of us in this building to come down from the wall. He wants every single one of us in this building to let off of what we're doing and just step back and step away. He's real. And he really seeks to destroy any initiative or any concern with anything to do with God or his mandate. If he can eliminate the concern either by fear of retaliation or by distraction. He can and will subsequently win the battle in and over us in our lives. But we cannot become distracted. We cannot look to the left and look to the right. But we've got to have that proverbial tunnel vision to see, no, there's an end to all this, and I'm going to keep my eyes on the prize. We can't become dissuaded or turned about by every wind of doctrine. But we've got to stand fast at the truths of the Bible and biblical mandates. We cannot become disillusioned and allow this world to come in and tell us a lie and help us to believe something that is not true. You see, we're, we're in constant attack. And I know this may sound negative, but I promise you, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just being realistic. We live in a real world. We live in, in a real world that is, that is just saturated by filth. Is saturated by everything ungodly, and and we can't we can't let our minds and our eyes be fixed upon that. But we've got to keep our eyes fixed on the right thing. The previous chapters of the book of Nehemiah, the enemy begins to attempt to thwart the plan of the rebuilding of the wall. Nehemiah chapter four, verses one through three. First, this is always his first tactic. And that's ridicule. The Bible says, but it came to pass when Sanballat heard that we built the wall, he was wroth, took great indignation, and mocked the Jews. 
he spake before his brethren, the army of Samaria, and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. You see, first and foremost, the enemy is going to try to circumvent by attempting to diminish the work of God through questioning its validity or its ability. He'll always call into question the truth or the importance of the work of God every single time. But Nehemiah responds in the right way. He doesn't listen to that. No, he goes before the Lord and he prays in verse 4. Through six, hear, O God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. Hear me, so built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. I'm here to tell you today, we can do this. We can bind together and we can make it. We can do what God is calling us to do. He will equip us. But that's not all. He didn't give up. He comes again. Verses 7 through 15, he says, But it came to pass when Sinballat and Tobiah, the Arabians, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up. And that the breaches began to be stopped, and then they were very wroth. And considered all them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, They shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. And it came to pass when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times from all places which she shall return unto us, they will be upon you. Therefore, I set in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places. I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and I rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not afraid of them. Remember the Lord which is great and terrible. And fight for your brethren, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us and God had brought their counsel to naught that we returned, all of us, unto the wall, everyone unto his work. See, that's the, that's the thing we face. We face problems within and we face problems without. But the right response is always needed. We need some people that will stand up and say, no, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm going to set my family in order. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, and we're going to stand for truth no matter what, and we're going to build this wall. We're going to do what God has called us to do. No matter what, we're going to do what God has called us to do. 
when the enemy heard that, they, they went away. But only for a season. See, I'm trying to paint a picture here that this is not just a one-time battle. This is not something that we can just fight a skirmish and be over with. No, this is a war. And wars have battles that come and they go. They come and they go. And they don't quit until it's all over with. And the last time I checked, we're still here. And so we're still going to be facing opposition no matter what. He's going to come and he's going to come and he's going to come. And so that's why we need to be vigilant. That's why we need to stand with our eyes open and our hearts receptive to the word of God. You see, the opposition came yet again. But this time, wasn't so hostile. This time, it wasn't so in your face. This time, it was a little less hostile. And this is where I believe that we are today. If you look at the church in a broad sense, the turning of the century, when truth, people began to to study this word and they began to receive the revelation of God, they began to receive the revelation of baptism in Jesus' name. They, They faced opposition. First came ridicule. First came mockery and making fun. It's the same thing that happened on the day of Pentecost. They were mocked and they were they were told these people are drunk. But Peter stood up and said, "They're no, they're not drunk as ye suppose." But this is just the third hour of the day. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit. And so God poured out His Spirit, and 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 we we go through the Reformation, and we go through the Dark Ages, and and then there's a there's a resurgence of people that have a hunger for God, that want to be in the midst of God, and they receive the revelation and the truth, and they begin to face opposition, ridicule, making fun, and then there's a time where where it comes that there's there's strong opposition, there's there's people coming against them, trying to thwart the plan of God, trying to trying to to use bold tactics trying to take it by force but here we are today and I believe this is where we are it's less hostile now you see if you look around there's no ridicule anymore everybody lifts their hands and everybody claps their hands and everybody dances in the spirit everybody there's no ridicule anymore but this is where we are this is where the enemy is trying to find us today If he can't get the victory through tactics of fear and intimidation, ridicule, or condemnation, he's going to attempt to make a deal. When he sees he can't breach the perimeter with bold tactics, he becomes more and more subtle. You see, that's what he is. He's just subtle. This brings us back to where we started for a moment. Nehemiah 6, 1 through 4. Bible says that Sanballat and Geshem, verse 2, sent unto me saying, Come, come, let us meet together. Some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But Nehemiah said, No, they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them saying, I, I am doing an important work so that I cannot come down. So why should the work cease while I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times after this same sort, but I answered them after the same manner. 
The answer is simply no. You see, the example that Nehemiah sets and what ensures his success is the fact that he always had the spirit of discernment and he had the right response. Nehemiah refused to come down from the wall. He refused to give any credence to his antagonist, even though he faced that opposition on all sides, both within and without. Nehemiah realized who he was, and he understood the task that he had been called to do and the importance of seeing it through until the end. You see, Nehemiah had a calling. Nehemiah had a burden upon his heart. And I'm here today to tell you that if we've been filled with the Spirit of God, we need to have a burden for the work of God. We must have a burden for the Spirit and the purpose of God. You see, his heartbeat must become our heartbeat. Everything that moved him must move me. Everything that, that put him in a position of prayer and in a position of weeping needs to be the same thing that puts me in that position. You see, we must have a weight. We must have a weight that would come over us. That same heavy weight that same sense of urgency that Jesus himself had when he walked upon this earth. That same urgency, that same purpose that consumed him every day of his earthly life. You see, Jesus' purpose can be summed up in this. Luke 19 and 10, he said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You see that same seeking to save mentality, that same seeking to save mentality must be my mentality. Hear me today, we must seek to save all that is lost along with all whom are lost. It's it's twofold. You see, we have to seek to save all that is lost and all whom are lost. Let me just talk about that for a minute. In a world that has lost moral ground at an alarming rate, we must seek to save morality. In a world that has lost moral ground in any type of biblical truth, we must seek to save biblical principles. And hear me, we must seek to save clear and concise lines of the demarcation between us and the world. told you that being separate is, is some kind of anomaly, you, you have been sold a bill of goods that is not true. Anybody that ever told you that being separate is not right, they are lying to you. I'm telling you, we've been called to be separate. We've been called to be set apart. It's biblical. Paul told us from his, from his epistle to the Corinthians, 6 and 14 through 18. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. 
as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. In verse 17, wherefore, this is what we're doing this for, wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. You hear me? I must reach a place. I must reach the place that I truly, not just arbitrarily, but I truly understand my purpose in this earth. Every one of us need to come to a point in our lives where we believe and understand that we are better than some things. I'm not talking about people. But we are better than some things in this world. We have no business looking at that. We have no business listening to that. We have no business going there. Because we're better than that. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Greater. We must understand and have an attitude, an air about us. Not that we're pious and high and mighty and lofty above people. But there is some things that we need to understand. Not a Pharisee-like attitude. But there should be a certain air about us when it comes to sin. There should be, there should be a certain air about us when somebody walks into a room and thinks they can just pop off at the mouth with anything, they, they should look at you and say, I'm sorry, let me not do that again. There should be a certain air about us when it comes to the devil and when he tries to come around and whisper in my ear. We ought to be able to look at him and say, really? And he ought to look at us and say, I'm sorry, I don't know what I was thinking. A temporary lapse of memory. I forgot who you were for a minute. Come on, somebody, lift your voice right now and praise God. Yes, 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 yes. My God, my God, I feel the Holy Ghost. We must come to terms with what we must do and we must come to terms with who we are. So let me talk about that for a minute. What must we do and who are we? First Peter 2, 1 through 12. This is what we must do. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings as newborn babes, Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So you may have tasted that the Lord is gracious. To whom coming as unto a living stone disallowed indeed of men but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. 
Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, <laughs> elect and precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. This is who you are. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation on honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may by, by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. You see, the reality is this. You are a royal priesthood. You are a peculiar people. You have been called to be set apart away from everything else unto God. The reality is this. Satan knows this. He understands this, and sometimes, sometimes I believe that he knows this more than we do. Sometimes I understand that he comes around because he understands that we don't understand. He understands our potential. He knows who we can become, and that's why he fights so hard against the work of God. You see, he knows the more that we realize who we are, the more he loses his dominion and his power. You see, it was no different in the garden. He was successful in convincing a woman to sin and her husband to follow suit, giving up every God-given right they had ever been given. His tactics has not changed from that moment forward. First, he brings God's word into question, Genesis 3 and 1. Then he will distort God's word. Then he denies God's word. Then he questions God's motives. And here, here's the end of all of this, is what it always ends up being. Then he makes an appeal to human desire, human perception, and human pride. You see, Adam and Eve had no idea who they were. They had no idea who they were, and they failed to use the tools that God had already given him. They had already, they had chose to trade their God-given rights for a temporary satisfaction that only appeared to be good. You see, if Satan had the audacity to go after them, the first created, what makes us even more susceptible? What makes us think that we're not susceptible to the, to the attack of Satan? If he was bold enough to go after them, if he was bold enough to go after Jesus, what makes us any more or any less susceptible? You see, Jesus is our ultimate example. Just like Nehemiah, he always had the right response. Now, I won't read this for sake of time. But Matthew 4 and 1 through 11 is our example and how to deal with him. It's through the word and it's through prayer. That's the only way. You see, it always ends up to this. Just as he tempted Jesus in his flesh, it always comes down to flesh. You see, that's what he was cursed to eat was the dust of the ground. 
we're made from the dust of the ground. And so if he will consume us, it will be through our flesh. He always attempts to circumvent the will of God through that flesh. But God attempts to carry out his will and his purpose through his spirit. So whether or not the will of God and the work of God will get done in my life, in this world, will be only what I give my mind and attention to. It's what I listen to. It's what I believe. It's, it's what the enemy wants. He wants us to listen to something other than the Word of God and the Spirit of God. He wants us to listen to our flesh, and that's what he goes after. You see, the time is drawing near, and I believe that the end is coming even quicker than we can ever imagine. The closer we come, the enemy will attempt harder and harder and more and more than he ever has. He will present, hear me, a good thing. It will not always be outright and blatant sin. You see, he'll give us something that seems good, that seems okay. It makes it palatable. It makes it easy to swallow. And most definitely, it will feel good to our flesh. It will appear to be an even trade because he presents an easy out, a good feeling, a simple fix. But those are fleeting and they'll last but a moment. And so that's what happened here in chapter 6, the book of Nehemiah. The Bible says, Sanballat and Geshem said unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages, the plain of Ono. And so that's what I want to tell you today. Don't go to Ono. You see, Ono in its literal meaning means vigorous. It actually means a valley of craftsmen. It resembles work. It's a prolonged form of the word own, which means wealth and physical strength. This context of scripture, the city was representative of neutral territory. Just come down. Just come down for a minute. Just come talk to me for a minute. Let's step over here into a neutral territory. We were not made to be neutral. We were not made to be neutral with him, with the devil. We are above him. He should be under our feet. So, so in this context of scripture, it's representative of that neutral territory. But what it actually represents is compromise. It represents the unimportant. It represents vigor without reward. It, it, it represents work, but without a payout. Galatians 6, 7 through 8 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For, that, for he that soweth to his flesh shall reap of the flesh, reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So the question today that remains is this. What will you give your time and your attention to? Will you allow the enemy to call you down and discuss this matter? Are you going to build? That's the question that we all need to ask ourselves. But what we need to understand is if, if we're going to build, if we're going to build the wall, there's some things that we're not going to be able to do. You see, if we're going to build the wall, there's some places that we're not going to be able to go because I'm here. 
I'm building the wall. You see, there's some activities that I won't be able to take part in because I'm here and I'm building the wall. And here's the reason. We don't have an infinite amount of time to get this done. This is not something that we can pick up and lay down and come back later and pick it up again and lay it back down. No, we got to stay on the wall. You see, there's a deadline to all of this. And the work of God is not always easy. But hear me, it's always right. It doesn't always produce immediate results. But it will provide long-lasting, eternal reward. See, you have a deeper purpose in all of this. My purpose is not just to come here and sing the right songs and clap my hands in the right way and lift my hands at the right time. You see, my purpose is deeper. I'm building a wall. The building of the wall represents and even parallels the restoration of apostolic truth. We are living in unprecedented times. And it is ever more important to build and to keep this truth stronger than we ever have. You see, men and women, pioneers in the 20th century, they studied, they received the revelation of the oneness of God. They received the revelation of baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And now we have been called upon to continue what they fight for and what they fought for. You see, we have a monumental task that is ahead of us, but it will all be worth it in the end. The work is too important to quit. And here is the reason why. Nehemiah 7, 1 through 6. Now it came to pass when the wall was built... And I had set up the doors and the porters and the singers and the Levites were appointed. And I gave my brother Hananiah, Hananiah the ruler of the palace, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a faithful man and feared God above many. And I said unto them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun be hot. While they stand by, let them shut the doors and bar them. Point watches of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, every one in his watch and every one to be over against his house. Now the city was large and great, but the people were few therein, and the houses were not builded. My God put into my heart to gather together the nobles and the rulers and the people that they might be reckoned by genealogy. And I found a registry, the genealogy of which came up at the first and found written therein. These are the children of the province that went up out of the captivity of those that had been carried away from Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and carried away, and came again to Jerusalem and to Judah, everyone unto his city. You see, at this point, the walls had been built, and restoration had began to occur. And those that were scattered abroad because of disobedience began to return, along with the ones that were already present in Jerusalem, began to be repopulated. People began to be restored because of the restoration. I'm here to tell somebody today.
there have been men and there have been women who have been carried away captive from this truth. They've been carried away into the farthest reaches. But I'm telling you, there is going to be a great revival. There is going to be a great harvest in this end time. There is going to be a great harvest of souls. And they are going to return. But when they return, they're going to be in search of something. They're going to be in search of that wall that's been built. They're going to be in search of that wall that's been erected. That truth that's been erected and kept high and holy. You see, when they get here, they need to see that this is a safe place. When they get here, they need to understand that there have been families that have been diligent. There have been families that have stood the test of time and not have listened to the enemy that have not come down from the wall, but they have continued to build. They must return to a place and to a people that have continued in the apostles' doctrine. You see, when they return, they need to hear and they need to understand that there is still a people that still believe. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. They need to be able to come and hear and understand that there is still a people that still believe that Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. They need to return to a people that still believe that without holiness you cannot see the Lord. Without holiness we cannot see Him. I'm telling you today as we stand together, the work is too important to quit. The work is too important to quit. I'm telling you, they're coming back. They are going to return, and they need to find the people that still have their hands raised, their hearts lifted to heaven. It's time that you and I realize who we are. It's time that you and I realize what we've been tasked to do. And it's time to realize that we need to tell the enemy, I'm not quitting. I'm not stopping. I'm not slowing down. It's too important to quit. Come on, lift your hands all across this building. Lift your voices all across this building. Somebody tell the enemy right now, I'm not coming off this wall. I'm not coming off this wall. It's too important to quit. In the name of Jesus, come on, lift your voice. Lift your voice. Lift your voice. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.